0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning, church. My name's Landon. I'm the next gen pastor here. I'm excited to teach this morning and finish out this series. And before we get going, I want to give just one quick announcement. Next week, we begin a brand new series called 10. And we're celebrating 10 years of discipleship as a church. So this is like our 10-year birthday series. It is going to be such an awesome series. So next week, one of the cool things that we're going to be doing is we're going to have a birthday cake competition. And and so like we do with Southern Sunday with our pie, we want you to bring your best birthday cake to help us celebrate 10 years together, discipl- making disciples as a church. So do that next week. Also next week, our new worship pastor will be with us, Pastor Brandon and his associate Pastor Lance. And so we want everybody to be here next week as we start this new series as we lead up into Easter. So uh, it is going to be awesome. We want to make sure that everybody is back here next week. And today we're going to finish out Part four of our Wild Soul series. Now, let me start by saying this. I have three basic fears in my life. Now, if you know me, you know that I have a lot more than three, but I'm a Baptist, so three sounds great. All right? So, uh, three basic fears in my life. Here they are. First one is needles. Anybody like that? Needles. Okay? Not many. I, I know. I know, guys. I, this is me. Now, I'm, I, I'm deathly afraid of shots. Like I absolutely hate shots. Like, like the common flu shot, no, nah. uh, give me the mist. I know it's going to kill me. Give me the mist, though. Like, Pastor Todd, hey, you want to go to Zambia? I got to get a shot. I don't know if I can suffer for the gospel like that, brother. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, like I, I may, I may, this could, might have happened when I was a kid, Mom was like, hey, we're going to go get the flu shot today, and I may have ran from the house to lock myself in her car with her keys. Uh, may have happened. Number two fear, mice. Hate mice. I get it, y'all. You're like, "Well, oh, they're so cute. No, they're not. They're rats. Like, the, only, the only rat I like is on Ninja Turtle, and his name is Master Splinter, okay? I don't like mice. I know I could step on them. I know that I could kick them out of my house. One time we had a mouse in my house, and I might, remember it's a mite, okay? Didn't mean to happen. I might have had or forced Leanna to take care of that mouse for me, okay? I, I just, I don't like needles. I don't like mice. And, and here's the third one, and this is really kind of odd. Um, I'm really afraid of prison. Now, some of you have been to prison, and you're like, in those jeans, you ain't making it, brother. <laughs> you need to be afraid of prison. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Prison scares me. Now, specifically, like, like, the idea of going to prison for, like, a crime that I didn't commit, uh, like, for some reason, that just wears me out. Now, how many of y'all have watched the show Prison Break on Netflix? Any Prison Break fans? Okay. Uh, you know, there's a show uh, that is called Scared Stupid, and it's where, like, people take their kids, and they, like, go to take them to prison and show them, like, you're going to end up there. Now, I'm the youth pastor. Some of y'all need to do that, please, for the sake of the small group leaders. Uh, but, but we're, we're kind of fascinated as. The culture with like prison, and there's like these shows that kind of chronicle like prison gangs. Or even a couple of weeks ago, I was in San Francisco and got to see Alcatraz, which is so cool. Or we'll, we'll hear stories about like prisons for terrorists, like Guantanamo Bay. And, and there's something fascinating about prison. Now, for me, the reason why, why prison is, is, it leaves me very, very uneasy is because I'm a control guy, and the fact of being somewhere against my will where I don't want to be in remember I, like kind of the fear here is like being put in prison for something I didn't do like 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 that really Scares me because I like to be in control and and I don't want to, like, there's just nothing worse for me than the idea of being trapped in something and not being able to get out. That's why some of you are afraid of roller coasters. You don't want to throw the the thing over top and be trapped. That's why some of you are are claustrophobic because you don't want to be trapped in some place or somewhere that you can't get out. And so I'm not saying everybody's afraid of prison or everybody's afraid of roller coasters, but I'm saying is that I think. I think it's kind of basic for humans that we all have some sort of fear like this. And here, here's kind of the fear here. Every single person in this room, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, more likely than not, the thought of being trapped in something or somewhere you do not want to be, gives you an uneasy feeling. Like, like, for example, few people really want to sign a three-year contract at National Fitness. Let's just be real here. Like, give me the month to month. Nobody really wants to lock themselves in. It doesn't matter if you're a health nut. You don't want to lock yourself in for for three whole years. I mean, that that kind of makes you uneasy. Few college freshmen want to lock themselves into a major their freshman year. Few millennials desire to settle down and to commit and have kids and, and to be married. Few people enjoy the process of picking a baby name. Because it's like oh, I don't know, Is it going to be a Ruth? Do oh, I like Ruth? Is Ruth going to be cool? Are they going to make fun of her for that name? Or Nora? That's my daughter's name. Is that like, like pe- pe- a lot of people don't enjoy that process? Because what if I don't like that name one day? What if that name becomes like, like a terrible name one day? We don't like locking ourselves in. Few people like the job or like the idea of taking a job in another city. Because what if you get to that job and it was all these amazing things with all the packages and all the benefits, and you get to this the city that you thought you were going to love, and you don't love it. Your kids don't connect in school, and, and, and you can't find friends, and your family doesn't follow you there. And, and it's like, we don't like to be trapped into something. Why? Because there's a chance that you may realize that you don't want to be in the place that you locked yourself into. And see, we all don't want to be trapped or imprisoned somewhere we do not want to be. And you know this because we've all done this. We have all been imprisoned to something that we wanted to get out of. Maybe it was when you took student loans when you were in college, and, and that was for you the only way, and now you're still paying that debt. Or, or maybe it was a, a financial decision or an impulse buy that you made, and, and, and the Vols had just been Kentucky, and you're like, I'm getting a car tonight! And maybe it was an impulse buy and you signed that dotted line and you're like, why did I do that? Maybe it was a job that you took or, or, or maybe it was a mistake that you made along the way. Or maybe it's something even a little, a lot more serious here. Maybe it was an affair. And, and, and it was, you was in the moment and you're on that work trip and you knew it wasn't right. But you gave in to that impulse and you had an affair and now you're locked in a place to where your marriage isn't good. And you're struggling to rebuild it. Maybe it was a bad habit. Maybe it was smoking. Maybe it was drinking. Maybe it was some habit in your life small or big, that you're like, man, maybe if I could just go back, if I'd have never signed the dotted line on that loan, if I'd have never replied to that text, to that direct message, if I would have never accepted that job, if I would have never have said yes, if I'd never had the first cigarette, the first drink, the first hit, then I would never be stuck in this prison that I am in. And the thing about us as humans, whether you're a Christian or you are not, is that we all want to live free. We want to live free from debt. We want to live free from sin. We want to live free from the struggles that our parents had. We all want to live free, but we all have a wild soul inside of us. We have a soul that convinces us that freedom is only attainable by doing something. That freedom can only be grasped by, the, by, by taking a drink to just take the edge off the day. The wild soul is what convinces us to make the decisions that put us in the prisons that we are in. And while we all want out of the physical and emotional and spiritual prisons our wild souls have led us to, we just can't. I love what Pastor Trent said. He said it several weeks ago. He said, living the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. That's why we need Jesus. And so we all want that freedom, but we just Can And that is exactly where Samson is today as well, as we pick up in our story. He is in a prison that he cannot get out of. He just cannot do it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges 16, verse 21. And we are going to pick up on the story where Pastor Trent left off last week. So as you're turning there, we're going to be in verse 21, Judges chapter 16. And the text reads, And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved." that's where we left off last week. Now, I'll be honest, this series has been amazing. It's been such a good series. And and it's kind of a hard follow to go from Pastor Todd, Pastor Trent's message last week, like, yeah, let's throw the youth pastor up there, okay? Because these guys have been preaching out of the park messages every single week. And first off, let me just say, Man, I just thank you, Pastor Trent, for, for giving me this opportunity today to, to speak to this church and encourage and finish out this series. Man, our, our pastor ha- has been going through a time, as you, he shared last week, with, with his family and some health issues. Man, he is leading so well in this season. We have an amazing pastor, don't we? He is such a great leader for us as a church. And so, thank you, Pastor Trent, for giving me this opportunity this morning. But he preached a message, and last week he talked about Delilah. And so, it, it, if you are new, and today's your first time, welcome, uh, but, but let me kind of catch you up on the story. So Samson had this supernatural strength. He was given by God to be a judge of Israel. Now, the judge's job were to protect Israel from the outside nations. In this case, in Samson's case, it was the Philistines. Samson's job was to protect Israel from the Philistines. Now, God gave Samson an incredible supernatural amount of strength. And he said that the only way your strength would, would would be removed from you is if you cut your hair. So Samson had this supernatural strength, and he made what was called the Nazarite vow. In the Nazarite vow, he wasn't supposed to touch anything dead. He wasn't supposed to to have any wine on his lips. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. He had taken this vow before God. He said, if you don't break that vow, I will never remove my strength and my power from you. Now, Samson had physical strength, but he was spiritually very weak because he had what we're calling a wild soul inside of him. He had a wild soul inside of him that led him astray. Now, there was somebody who was a spy, her name was Delilah. And, and, and she said she was going to distract Samson and try to figure out the secret behind his strength. Because nobody knew that the only reason, the only way to take away Samson's strength was to cut his hair. So he, Delilah, is a prostitute. He gets in bed with Delilah, his enemy. Delilah was a Philistine, and, and she gets the secret out of him, and she cuts his hair. They arrest him, they take him, they beat him, they torture him, and this is what where we find Samson today, and this is where we pick up. The strong man is no longer strong. His eyes that he lusted with have now been gouged out, and he is now serving the people he vowed to destroy. So let's go to verse 23 this morning. It says this, Now the lords of the Philistines Gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. Now, I want you to pause here. and Guys, if we can keep the scripture up on screen for just a moment. It says this, that now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Now, I put some emphasis here on lords and Dagon. So I want you to imagine here, all the lords, so this is the governors; These are the important people. The, the governors of the Philistines have gathered together. So as you're thinking in your mind what this looks like, I want you to picture kind of like the State of the Union address. Everyone from Congress. The Supreme Court, the President, the Vice President, the the Senate Majority Leader. Everybody has has gathered together in one place. And so Samson is now here, the lords of the Philistines, gathered to offer a sacrifice to their God, Dagon. And and I want you to remember who Dagon is. We're going to come back to him in a moment. And here is what they said. And they said, our God... So remember, this is the the people of Dagon, the Philistines... Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. Now, in the ancient Near Eastern history here, we see in history, you see what we call tribal religions. And, and what that means is every tribe kind of had their own God. And so the Canaanites worshipped Baal. The Philistines worshipped Dagon and, and other gods. Now, the Israelites, they worshipped the one true God that we know as Yahweh or the Lord, the triune God. So each tribe had a God. So anytime time one tribe or one people would defeat another people, it wasn't just like it wasn't just war. It was essentially saying, our God is better than your God. Your God, Dagon, is not real. So in the Israelites, when, when King David beat the Philistines, I mean, they were like, our God is real. The gods of Philistine are not real. And so there's like this, it's not just a, a win of a battle. It is Our God has won. So when Samson, the warrior of Israel, is captured, they would view this as their God's win. And so verse 25 reads this. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. So you can imagine this strong man who used to kill the Philistines, is now strung up, probably naked, tortured in front of everyone. Very embarrassing moment. They entertained him and they made him stand between the pillars. Verse 26. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lead against them. So he's he strung up between two pillars here, and he says, let me, let me fill each pillar beside me. And it says in, that, in verse 27, Now the house was full of men and women, and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. So remember, State of the Union type, type affair that's going on here. There's 3,000 men and women. There's the lords, the governors. All the leaders are in one place. And imagine being a Philistine in this tribal religion culture. They're celebrating the win over the God Yahweh. They bring Yahweh's representative Samson out. He is tortured. He is broken. and, And the torture would continue as entertainment for the Philistines. And as they break out the champagne for the victory party that they thought They had Yahweh right where they wanted him. But Yahweh had the false god Dagon right where he wanted them. And then it says in verse 28, And Samson called to the Lord. Anytime you see Lord in all caps, it normally is referring to the personal name of God, which is Yahweh. The Israel's God. He calls to Yahweh and said, O Lord, God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped The two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them and his right hand on one, his left on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pulls down the two pillars and killed many Philistines. In fact, the text says that he killed more Philistines in that day than he had throughout his entire life. He finally fulfills his purpose. Dagon, their God, and he finally, through all of his mistakes, is able to fulfill his purpose. That is the text today. So, I want want to kind of just show you just three things about this text before we apply it to our lives. And and, and here's the first thing I really want you to see is that, that Samson gave into the power of his wild soul. Now, remember, Samson, his entire life, was an egotistical, self serving, narcissistic womanizer. He did some great things, but he was not a great man. He was a leader, but he did not lead. He was strong, but oh, was he weak. But there was a line for Samson. Remember, we have talked about it. It was the Nazarite vow. And all the wrong things that he did throughout his life would not take his strength away unless his hair was cut. And what does he do? As Pastor Trent spoke about last week, he gets into bed with a Philistine prostitute and lets him cut his hair. Or lets her cut his hair. And he gave into the power of his wild soul. And I love how verse 24 puts it. It says this, it says, Our God, Samson, or our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. The Philistines are are crying this. It's their victory chant. And then it says, and when the people saw him, they too praised their God, for they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. See, every time, think about this, every time that someone gives into the power of their wild soul, all of hell says something similar to this. Our God has given Jeff into our hand. Our God has given Mark into our hands. Every time I sin, our God has given Landon into our hands. You see, dads, every time you blow up on your wife in front of your kids, you know what all of hell says? Our God finally gave this dad into our hands. We got him right where we want him. Every time you look at pornography, all of hell says our God has given Our enemy into our hands. Every time you need another drink just to take the edge off the day, the all of hell says our God has given, fill in the blank, into our hands. And this is exactly... What Samson's enemy says. So Samson gives into the power of his wild soul. And anytime time you give into the power of your wild soul, hell says our God has given our enemy into our hands. And it says this, or, or uh, he, he, Samson gives into the power of his wild soul. And, and then what happens? Samson is in a prison because of his wild soul. He's in a prison he does not want to be in. And remember what was Samson's goal? He wants to protect Israel from the Philistines. Samson wanted to prove that Dagon was a false god. And what is he doing now? Verse 21 says, And the Philistines seized him, they gouged out his eyes, they brought him to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And, and here's the emphasis I want you to see here: is that, and he ground at the mill in prison, but the hair of his head began to grow after it has been shaved. Now, Ground, what's so significant about him grinding at the mill? What does this, this text that says he ground out the mill have to do with us? Well, the answer lies into who Dagon is, the false god. So, in almost all ancient Near Eastern historians agree that the god Dagon is, is the god of grain. Okay? Now, so that means Dagon was viewed as the Philistine source for their food. So when Samson ground at the mill, what is he being made to do? Serve Dagon. So there's a big significance here. That he is now serving the God he vowed to destroy and and to show that he wasn't a real God. And that's exactly what sin does to the human state. My pastor, Dr. Ron Stewart, growing up, used to say this, sin takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you are willing to pay, and that is exactly what we are witnessing in Samson. All he wanted to do was be with Delilah, but now he's in a prison serving Delilah's God. And some of us Christians, we think we can live in our wild souls without being in a prison to our wild souls. And that's just not going to happen. Whatever you put above God will one day become your master. And sin costs you more than you are willing to pay every single time because your wild soul will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And your wild soul will cost you more than you are willing to pay. And that is what we are seeing in Samson. He is now serving the God that he knew was false. So, Samson gives into the power of his wild soul. He's now in a prison because of his wild soul. And Samson now deserves a penalty because of his wild soul. And because of his sin, Samson now deserves a penalty, and that penalty is death. But the penalty of death is not just something that Samson deserved, he deserved an eternal penalty. And that penalty is something that everyone who has a wild soul inside of them deserves as well. And the New Testament will verify this as well. It says in Romans six twenty three, it says this: For the wages of sin, the wages of your wild soul, what you get because of your wild soul is death. He was he gave into the power. He's now in a prison, and because of that, he deserves a penalty. And the Bible says that the wages of the wild soul, the wages of sin, is death. Because of Samson's wild soul, he deserved a physical death, but he also deserved death spiritually as well. He deserved what everyone who has a wild soul in them, including me, deserves. He deserved a penalty of an eternity spent in a real place called hell. This is what Samson deserved. But God was not done with Samson. He was not done with Samson. He had a plan for Samson. And hear me, this is where it gets really exciting for you and me, is that God is not done with you. Samson deserved a penalty, but God was not done. And God's not done with you. Why? Because the second half of Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but... Every time you see a but in the New Testament, it's normally a good thing. Normally. (laughs) But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. This is one of the greatest themes in the Bible. Man gave into the power, man led himself into a prison, man deserves a penalty, but there is a free gift called grace. Samson is about to experience this free gift because what did Samson deserve? He deserved to end his life serving David, Dagon, being known till the day as a failure who did not fulfill his purpose of destroying the Philistines. But God gives Samson grace. He grasps the pillars, and he pulls it down. And and here's what the Bible says. It says, and Samson grasps the two middle pillars, and I'm going to skip to verse 30. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed his entire life. Though Samson dies physically, his life had an eternal purpose. Isn't it amazing what God can do through a failure? Isn't it amazing what God's good grace can do through somebody who who is fresh out of prison? Isn't it amazing what God's good grace can do with someone who fails morally? Isn't it amazing what God's good grace could do with someone literally strung out between two poles? I mean, think about this. It was Samson's job to protect Israel. And in one minute, he does more for Israel in God's strength than in a lifetime of doing it in his own. And at the end of his life, he receives the grace of God. And no matter where you are today, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, that can be your story too. You can receive that grace. And here's my bottom line, is that if you are not dead, God is not done. Amen? If you are not dead, God is not done with you. There's a story to be written with your life. It doesn't matter where you are. And I know you're in a prison. I know you've had an affair. I know you put yourself in some dumb debt. I know you walked out on your kids. I know you just got fired. I know the pills are still in the glove box in your car in the parking lot today. I know you disappointed those close to you. But the life of Samson proclaims that God's grace is bigger than your mistake. It doesn't matter if you've given in the power. It doesn't matter if you're stuck in the prison. If you experience the penalty of sin in your life right now, your life can still have purpose. Because if you are not dead, God is not done. And there was grace for Samson on his deathbed. And many of you all, you're not on your deathbed right now. You're not about to die. But there's grace for you right now. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old today. There's grace for you today, but it's a free gift, and that gift is only yours if you take it. So there's two responses that you can have to this free gift, and it's going to be remorse or repentance. And I want you to see the difference here, because we're going to look at how Samson responds here in just a minute. Many people feel remorse over their sin, okay? And and here's what remorse is. People who feel remorse say, oh, I should have done something different. I wish I could just go back. I'd, I'd fix it all. I would have never made that mistake. If I could just go back to such and such place at such and such time, gosh, woe is me. Or, or, or people who feel remorse often play the victim card. Oh, I can't believe that happened to me. I, I just, my parents used to sin that way, and that's the way I've always been. I mean, I'm an Enneagram 3, and that's just who I am. I'm a, whatever your personality, that's just, uh, if I could just be different. I, I, that's, that's what I would, I would do. And, and, and here's what remorse does. Doesn't it make you the star of the story? Gosh, if I could just go back, I'd save myself. That's what remorse is. Oh, woe is me. I wish I could have been blank. But that's not the correct response. See, there's remorse, and then there's a, a, a Bible word called repentance. And the only response to your wild soul, the only good response, is repentance. Repentance looks to God and asks Him to repair it. Repentance is a turn from your wild soul and a run and a cling towards Jesus. It doesn't say, man, if I could just go back here, I would fix it. It says, no, no, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. But I know that Jesus can. See, repentance doesn't put your eyes on yourself. It puts your eyes on Jesus. And that is the only good response to failure. A good response to giving into the power of your wild soul. See, the only way to receive God's grace in the prison of your wild soul is through repentance. See, repentance is where we used to call on our strength to fix it. Now we call on God's strength. It's where we used to call on our our wit and our insight to get us out of a situation. But now we call on God's strength. It's where we used to to call on our problem-solving skills to fix it. But now we ask God God to make a way. See, Samson is proof that even the strongest man who ever lived was not strong enough to loose himself from the power of sin. So hear me. You are not stronger than sin. You are not more powerful than your wild soul. You are not more powerful Clever than the enemy. You are not mightier than darkness. You cannot win this battle, but King Jesus has. That is repentance. We get our eyes back on the one who never gave into the power of of a wild soul. He didn't even have a wild soul. He never gave into the power of sin, he never was imprisoned. At all. That is God's grace. That He came for us. That is proof that if you are not dead, God has not done. So here's my challenge this morning. My challenge is this. Repent of your wild soul. I know repent's not a, a good word that makes us feel good this morning. And, and I want you to know, I, I know at 9 a.m. service, there's a lot of people who've been coming to church for a long time. You, you, you may have made a decision to receive Christ years ago. That's amazing. But you can't have the gospel without repentance. Somebody asked Martin Luther, they said, why do you preach the gospel every single week? He says, because every single week you forget it. You and I, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, the call today is to repent of our wild soul. Because every one of us in this room has a place in our life that we have not yet repented of. That we have not turned to put our eyes on Jesus. Our eyes are still on ourselves. So what is that area for you this morning? Where do you need to repent where you need to turn from, to turn from it, to run from it, to put your eyes back on Jesus and repent. Because in that moment when Samson turned to God, God returned Samson's strength in a moment. He is literally at the end of his life. He is literally going to die in a few moments. But God's good grace restores Samson. So for those who've been running, you've been far from God. Maybe you've literally attempted to end your life. You feel so hopeless. Grace is available today. Because it was never too late for Samson to cry out to God. And it is never too late for you as well. But, we must repent. And here's how Samson's story ends. to me, in verse 31. It says this, then his brothers and all of his family came down, took him, brought him up, and bandaged him. And he became king of Israel for 60 more years. Is that what the text says? No, that's the NLT, the New Land of Translation. It says this. It says that his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him. (laughs) Between Zorah and Neshtau and the tomb of Manoah, his father, he had judged Israel for 20 years. See, the story would end a lot better. If I was writing it, verse 31, I would, oh, Samson, he he repents of his sin. He turns and and he's restored. He becomes king of Israel for the next 60 years till he dies of old age in his sleep as a lullaby's playing. It's just like the perfect moment because he served God and he turned. But that's not what it says. I mean, what a buzzkill, right? It's like the worst ending to a movie ever. Even when you look at like Samson's prayer to God, I want you to to really look at it this time. It says this, it says, then Samson called to the Lord and said, oh Lord God, please remember me. Look what it says. Please remember who? Me. And restrengthen me. Only this once, oh God, that I... May be avenged. Vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them and his hand, one on the left and his hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die of the Philistines. It's all about me. Even his prayers, he turns toward God, isn't about God, it's all about Samson. Samson doesn't even truly repent. And I'll be honest, I was so frustrated. I was ready to write this message about how Samson turns back to God in his last moment. And I had this whole message written out. And then I really actually started studying, digging in. I was like, come on, Samson. You went your whole life up and down, and this was your moment. Like, turn. And he's still focused on himself. Samson doesn't even truly repent, he just wants revenge, and he dies. What a terrible ending. It's so frustrating because when we hear, if if, if you're not dead, God's not done, you think, well, if that was true for Samson, that's true for me, then why does immediately after he turns to God, why does he die? Why does he never find redemption? I mean, imagine being an Israelite growing up with the the old covenant reading the stories it's like this was our hero really he couldn't even get it right after his eyes had been gouged out i mean are you kidding me that's it i mean why because we we want to see samson overcome his problems don't we we want to see him get past his lust we want to see him learn humility We want to see him get past his wild soul. We want to see the 30 for 30 on him one day about how he turns. We want to see him take out the rest of the Philistines. We want a better ending to Samson's story, don't we? But there is a better ending. Because 1,100 years later, there would be another miraculous birth. There would be one with even greater strength, but he would have strength over wind. He would have strength over waves. He would have strength over sickness, disease, physical disabilities, demons, darkness, and even the wild soul itself. This man would be betrayed by someone close to him too. He'd be shackled and chained too. He'd be tortured too. He would die with arms outstretched. But he wouldn't be hanged, he wouldn't be hung between two pillars that imprisoned him. He would hang between two sinners that he loved. And at his death, it would not be the kingdom of the Philistines that would crumble, but the kingdom of hell would crumble at his death. And though Israel stood in awe, and though Israel stood in awe of Samson the Nazarite, the whole world would stand in awe of Jesus the Nazarene. And we would all wonder, as the song says, how he could love us, sinners condemned unclean. So why does his story end here? Because the Bible is not about Samson overcoming his sin. The Bible is not about Elijah overcoming the prophets of Baal. The Bible is not about David killing the giant. The Bible is about a better Savior, a better judge, and a stronger man who would crush the head of the serpent. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole story is about him. The whole universe, your story today is all about Jesus. So don't you dare take away from this message. I guess I just need to move on. You do not need to move on. You need to get to Jesus this morning. That's where you need to be. Don't just move on from your sins. Get to the feet of Jesus because it is at his feet that we find freedom from our wild soul. It is through Jesus that you are not dead and it's only through Jesus that you are not done. So don't look to Samson as your example. He was a broken man. Look to Jesus this morning. He was broken for man. Get your eyes back on the one who never gave into the power of sin. He never let himself into a prison because of that sin. But he bore every iota of the penalty of that sin. Because God loves you today as he finds you. Wild soul and all. But he refuses, refuses to leave you as he finds you this morning. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com